Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. K-C-A-A. Hey! What the? Honey! The water just stopped in here! They turned it off because you're wasting water! What? What are you talking about? You know! Because you know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought. About that drop, 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 drop. Yeah, it's pretty clear. We're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drop, about that drop, no water. It's all about that drop, about that drop, no water. It's all about Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to The Water Zone on KCA 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Starr, along with, it's P-Day. P-Day. The passionate, patient, persevering, persistent, personable, phenomenal, philanthropic, philosophical, pleasant, popular, positive, practical, prepared, principled, proficient, proud, prudent, and polished. Please welcome Mr. Mike Barron. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, it's great always great to be able to share water news with you Rob and talk about what's going on <laughs> well listen um, you know I think I, I used to like the the D words and then you gave me the F words but now now it's peace so we'll we'll uh, around so we still need to remember we still need to be diligent about you know not flushing our toilets every time they're used right? Because we're still in a drought. Officially, we're still in a drought. So let's all pitch in and keep our water usage down. Or hold it longer. Yeah. <laughs> or or go visit a neighbor and say, oh, excuse yeah. me, may I use your restroom? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I got my mic on now. It was off before. Hopefully. Oh, hey. You mean – Engineer says you could hear me, right? Okay, cool. I hope no, I hope wrong. everybody got a chance to hear all those – I don't, want to re- I don't want to repeat them. Right. <laughs> that was a mouthful. <laughs> well, hey, um, we've got uh, some very informed uh, guests today. One I think is Are we going gonna go to go to the news first. To quick, quick news. Okay, that sounds good. A little quick news. And now for the news. Thursday, January twenty eighth, two thousand sixteen. Sounding official. I know. <laughs> you know, you get that. You have that deep, professional voice. I like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So you got some interesting news today, Rob, or do you want me to start it off? Go ahead. You well, um, got to say, 
I've had people say, well, what's, where's this El Nino in Southern California? I hear about all the rain up in Northern California, but how come the El Nino's fizzling out? And just want to let everybody know that it's that ridiculously resilient high-pressure ridge that's keeping the rain out, but the expectation is that El Nino will prevail. And um, the good news is that if we take a look at the Sierras and the snowpack, uh, we're doing pretty well. Up in the northern Sierra, up in the northern Sierras, the water content of the snowpack is now 124% of average. In the central Sierras, 115% of average. And in the southern Sierras, where, you know, we are broadcasting from, right. um, we're only at 92% of average. So that's not very good. But statewide, if you, uh, do the averaging, we're at 113%. Now, Here's a chance for you to really knock me out with your memory. Do you remember what the snowpack needs to be as a percent of average for us to have a chance to actually get out of the drought? 100 plus percent. You, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't remember the exact number. Uh, 150%. 150% and 130% of average rainfall at eight very uh, distinct, clearly identified weather stations throughout Northern California. So we've got a ways to go, and that's why it's important to understand we are still in a drought. And, you know, I just attended a California Irrigation Institute conference. It's an annual conference. Very fascinating. They had 10 individuals from the Department of Water Resources there uh, and other important people that are just deep into the water issues of California. And you know what their biggest concern is going into this next spring and, and summer, that people will think because of the snow and rain in Northern California. Go back to normal. Go back to normal. Yep. We're, we're, we're done. We don't have to be mindful that every drop counts. And um, if folks want to look up Cynthia Barnett, she's got a website. Uh, she spoke, and she was talking about the reverence for water. And where it started, she gave a history of, of uh, rain and a history of uh, really the beginning of environmentalism and concern for our natural resources. And her main point was that in countries like Israel, Singapore, there is this reverence of water that starts with children hearing nursery rhymes, being told stories. When these folks are asked the question, where does your water come from, they understand that it takes energy, it takes um, organization, it takes infrastructure, equipment, everything. infrastructure to create this, and that you must treat that water respectfully and be very, very um, judicious with its use. Well, that's got to be a big culture of change that's, that's, yep. that's coming. Yep. Yeah, you know, we talked about El Nino, and, and we have a guest tonight who's a meteorologist. Uh, we were talking to him once before, but all of a sudden he went blank. The phone, phone cut off, and we couldn't get him back. But just so you know, the, there was an emergency declared on the city of Pacifica. Oh, yes, yes. This was the yeah. uh, cliffs. Yeah. They yep. fear, uh, their fears that the storms from El Nino could damage the coastal bluffs. Already two homes have been evacuated because of the erosion. And it's hitting the city's coastline very hard and creating almost daily reports of impacts to both public and private property. It's going to go. I, I, I have pictures here that were on the web. It's incredible. I mean, these things got like one inch left. You open the window, you'll fall down this 300. Yeah, foot. my heart goes out to those multi-million dollar homeowners that uh, <laughs> are dealing with those uh, cliffside uh, views of the ocean. But, God, you look know, at, look at this. That's oh, I know, I know. It's uh, 
and you know they they can't even go into their homes anymore no. because of the danger that they might collapse at any at any moment. Yeah, and there's tons of them here. The way what this looks like, so some some apartments were condemned years ago due to the erosion, and so I, so this is what I don't understand. It's just like people live in the fire areas. Yeah. So when these things happen, and they know that they're going to have fire, or they know it's going to be flooding, or they know it's eroding, why do they stay? Because they have federal insurance that's uh, subsidized by the – man, never mind. We won't get into that. That'll be a different topic. It, That'll it, be a, it, a, it, just blows, it just blows me away away for that. Um, well, hey, did you hear about the $17 billion twin tunnels that are being proposed by the state of California to yes. do the, the big fix? Yes. And now do you think – the But they're deciding where to spend the money, too, how they're going to divide all that up. Well, uh, you know, there's some imminent domain going on, but um, – the fact of the matter is that it seems that Northern California is less enthusiastic about that project than those of us down here in Southern California. And it's certainly a uh, been presented as a way not only just to supply water more reliably to Southern California, but also to deal with the environmental issues pertaining to the Delta. And the Delta has equal emphasis in this project, as does the supply of uh, water. So that's the – in fact, one of your friends, uh, Mark Cowan, yes. was actually made a presentation up to the Santa Clara Valley Water District. They're hoping to um, – For our listeners, he's the director of the Department of Water Resources right. in California. So uh, he was making the presentation to the Santa Clara, Santa Clara Valley Water District – uh, in terms of why it made sense for that district to support, you know, this this investment, which would be paid by the people that will be using that water, which is those of us that Absolutely. get water from uh, metropolitan water districts. So, and in fact, I heard there like locally Western Municipal Water. I was at a meeting, chamber meeting this morning in Riverside, and they're talking about some new connect fees and things coming down the pike, and and that's going to be interesting because. Yep. Well, money, but. you know, there really are a lot of pieces to this water puzzle in the state of California. Farmers, environmentalists, urban dwellers, uh, state, federal, local governments, uh, to get all those entities to sit down and decide whether they're really working on the same puzzle. Because yep. there are different objectives, there are different lists of needs and wants and must-haves. and uh, well, It was like the money that w- that they collected for the gas tax that went for road fixing. And did it go of- to road fixing? No. 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 <laughs> and so they're worried about that. But speaking of El Nino, which we did before, yes. I think it's good. Uh, we want to bring back a gentleman who's the, uh, Dr. Paul Ulrich, who's the Assistant Professor of Regional and Global Climate Modeling, Department of Land, Air, and Water Resources for the University of California, Davis. Dr. Ulrich specializes in understanding the impacts of climate change at regional scales, including changes in heat extremes, precipitation, snowpack, and extreme weather, particularly on the West Coast. His work uses observational data and climate models to assess future change and build relationships between large-scale meteorological patterns and local weather. A major component of his work addresses the need to unravel the impact of natural variability and human impact on the climate system. So we caught up with him, and uh, uh, we'll we'll see what he has to say and learn all about what El Nino is. Doing well. Pleasure to be here. Good. So the question comes, what's El Nino? We know that the El Nino, otherwise known as the El Nino Southern Oscillation, or ENSO, I guess is what you guys might call it, is a phenomenon that has been going on for centuries. But, however, it's only been recently that it's become much better to understand as a result 
Many scientists such as you are becoming better at predicting when it may occur, how strong the El Nino may be, how long it may last, and what the effects might be. And what our listeners are going to want to understand is separating facts from the myths. From your perspective, what is El Nino? Well, I guess in the simplest terms, um, El Nino is basically just warming of the eastern to central Pacific waters along the equator. Um, now, the actual dynamics that comes into play in order to create an El Nino um, can be qu can be quite complicated, and it's worth just thinking about um, the, the basic dynamical patterns that are present in the tropics. So. The tropics are governed by what's essentially known as the Walker circulation, which is which it arises due to the fact that um, land typically heats up faster than water, um, and so you get really warm conditions over land, and consequently get convection or rising motion over land. This then has a tendency, in order to drive um, convergence or air moving along the surface towards Indonesia and North Australia. Um, and basically pulls in winds from all around it in order to drive this convection. And then that's followed by divergence or winds that move away from uh, Indonesia and northern Australia along the tropopause that is high up in the atmosphere at about 10 kilometers altitude. So what this does then is drive um, basically suction towards uh, northern Australia, which then creates these so-called um, easterly winds along the uh, equator. So easter release in meteorology just refers to winds that come from the east. So this then impacts the oceanic circulation by pushing um, warm ocean waters to the west. And in order to compensate for the loss of ocean waters um, along the eastern front, there's typically upwelling or vertical motion of the ocean waters from deep in the ocean to the surface, leading to cold conditions in the east and central Pacific. Now, during an El Nino event, what happens is there's a weakening of this walker circulation, which then causes the, the warm waters, which have now piled up along the western edge of the Pacific, to basically collapse back and leads to an overall warmer eastern and central Pacific. Wow. So, so basically, this warming is occurring, but because of other phenomenon, that water does not go where it normally would go. It stays where it normally doesn't stay, and that's what causes the elevated temperature in the eastern, central Pacific Ocean? Right. So in, you can think of it kind of like a bulldozer that keeps pushing all of the Pacific Ocean waters to the west. Uh, and in order to replace that water, it needs to pull it up from somewhere, and it ends up pulling it up from the depth which tend to be, of course, colder than surface waters. When the El Nino itself actually occurs, that bulldozer basically weakens, and consequently you get a flood back of warm ocean waters over the central and eastern Pacific, basically blocking that upwelling from occurring and leading to overall warmer sea surface temperatures through the equator. I've heard it said that no two, ninos, two, no two El Ninos are alike. Would you agree with that? proposition, or are they more similar than they are different? Well, the overall large-scale structure between El Ninos is, is pretty similar. That is, there's this region of the Pacific Ocean known as El Nino 3.4, and in this region, um, well, an El Nino basically occurs when uh, sea surface temperatures within this region uh, become anomalously warm. Um, and so that's the basic definition of the El Nino event. All El Ninos, of course, have that in common. But 
in terms of what actually triggers an El Nino event to occur, what actually causes the weakening of the walker circulation, um, it's highly variable uh, and difficult to predict over long periods. So it could be different causal factors at different times of the decade, if, if right. we were to get one per decade. Now, and okay. even, even the exact cause of a particular El Nino is often up for debate because essentially what an El Nino just needs is a weakening of that walker circulation. And there's many aspects of meteorology that could cause that weakening to occur. Wow. So the, the Southern Oscillation describes a, a bimodal variation in sea level barometric pressure. So how is that determined that it started, they measured from Darwin, Australia, and Tahiti? How did that, that was just what somebody said, this is where it's got to start? And well, you can actually, um, so what, what has been done is we've looked at so-called anomalies in the surface pressure. That is, if you take the average surface pressure over the equator, over many, many years of observations, and then you look at the variability or the natural oscillations that occur on top of that mean, what you will find is that whenever you have high pressure in Darwin, you typically also have low pressure in Tahiti. And that's connected very closely with the dynamics behind this, uh, between the, behind the walker circulation. Basically, low pressure attracts winds along the surface. So it's associated with the convective motion over um, northern Australia because it's basically low pressure is like suction. It's pulling in winds from around it. High pressure is uh, divergent motion. That is, it pushes winds away from it. So it turns out that the walker circulation oscillates then between suction and pushing away winds over uh, Darwin and Tahiti. And it sets up basically what's known as uh, the Pacific Dipole, where it's almost always the case that the, whenever you have anomalously low pressure over Darwin, you also have anomalously high pressure over Tahiti. And so this is a valuable measure for assessing the walker circulation. And as we've already discussed, the walker circulation then determines how the El Nino will behave. So all those anomalies are averaged over the three, over X amount of months to determine when it's going to happen? Um, yeah, so you can usually see if the low pressure over Darwin is weakening, then that's an indication that um, the walker circulation as well is weakening. And so it may result then in uh, an El Nino event. Nino that's expected to hit in, you know, in the winter in Southern California in 2016. I mean, is it, are we, all the data points suggesting, hey, everything is in place, we will have uh, higher than normal rainfall come this uh, January, February, March. Well, so we are definitely in an El Nino phase. The, if you look at sea surface temperatures in the eastern and central Pacific, we're sitting at between two to three degrees Celsius or uh, three to five degrees Fahrenheit above typical average sea surface temperatures in that region. Now, how that actually causes precipitation um, is a more complicated process. Basically, what these warmer sea surface temperatures do is it causes increased evaporation, which is then picked up by the atmosphere. You get warmer surface atmospheric temperatures, which are able to hold more water. And consequently, any atmospheric river events or Pineapple Express events that originate from those warmer subtropical waters will then typically lead to more extreme precipitation events. Now, in California, we have a bit of a confounder here. Namely, we've got uh, 
because of the way that California is situated, if a high-pressure ridge was to set up off of the west coast of California, it could redirect those atmospheric river events northwards. So there's a bit of variability involved when it comes to actually estimating the total number of storms that are going to impact California during an El Nino. That being said, increased precipitation, particularly through Southern California, is strongly associated with El Nino conditions. So we're expecting at throughout Southern California to see some pretty significant precipitation this year. I, I know back in, uh, I think it was the 97-98 uh, El Nino that um, we saw over 13 inches of rainfall in Los Angeles area in February of, the, of 1998. Is there any way to predict whether we will see that kind of significant uh, number above average? I mean, would, would we be able to say that we'll get at least six inches and probably not more than 20, or, or is that beyond our ability to predict? Um, we, so typically when dealing with anything beyond weather prediction timescale, so anything longer than a week, we usually, uh, us meteorologists tend to hedge a little bit and instead give things in terms of probability. And basically what we say under these situations is that um, there's a very strong likelihood that um, we're going to get extreme precipitation. Um, whether or not that's on the scale of the 97-98 El Nino, um, is, there's still a little bit of uncertainty there. Um, but at least getting the amount of precipitation that we had during 97-98 is, is possible. The strength of the El Nino that we're observing right now is pretty much on par with the 97-98 event. So. Fingers crossed we get enough precip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, we've been uh, hearing on the news and, of course, news releases and uh, about, you know, just because there's a lot of precipitation in Southern California, what we really need to be concerned about is whether the snowpack is, uh, is strong and deep uh, in Northern California, the Northeastern Sierras. Is there any way to make predictions about the snow content or the or the water content in the snow or the amount of snow that might might fall or is that or where more, it's going to fall, yeah. yeah. Or is that even more more difficult to uh to uh predict? Well we kind of know climatologically where it's gonna fall. Um and we're expecting more snowfall along the southern Sierras um where we're have where we essentially have higher altitudes. Um in the northern Sierras it's this is going to be an interesting year, I think, uh, and the climatologists are really looking forward to seeing what happens here because although El Nino is associated with higher precipitation, it's also associated with warmer temperatures along the West Coast. Now, so far, we've been pretty lucky in that regard. The temperatures have been cooler and kind of seasonal, um, but it's expected that we're going to have above-average temperatures. Now, most snowstorms that occur through the Sierras occur between um, minus three to zero degrees Celsius. So that if you have only a couple of degrees higher than average temperatures, that can quickly lead from a snowfall event to a rainfall event. And especially if we get rain on snow, um, then that can easily trigger flooding, particularly down in Sacramento. Um, so we're expecting certainly a lot of snow in the Southern Sierras, but in the northern Sierras, it's going to be a balance against those warmer temperatures and um, inc slight increases in precipitation. Interesting. So from a, uh, a layperson's perspective, to be 
more technically accurate, I would say the El Nino description really pertains to the warming of the Pacific Ocean, and as a result of then other dynamics, we, we get the rain, we get the rains, the, the higher rainfalls. So the El Nino really isn't the rainfall itself; it's that higher temperature in the. It's a condition. Yeah, it's a condition right. that then leads to that. So. In, so in atmospheric science, we typically refer to these things as teleconnections. That is, yeah. it's kind of a combination of telephone and connection. So warmer temperatures in the eastern Pacific tends to cause wetter conditions in Southern California. Now, is there an implication for other parts of the world where all of a sudden it becomes drier than normal? Yeah, so remember my argument before with the, with the walker circulation. During normal conditions where you have a cold eastern Pacific, typically you have a lot of convection and a lot of storms throughout Indonesia, um, kind of South Asia, and uh, northern Australia there. Um, but if you shift into El Nino conditions where those storms shift to the central Pacific, you get actually significant drying then through northern Australia in that region. There are other implications and or teleconnections associated with these El Nino events, including typically warmer conditions along the Pacific Rim, particularly in the northern hemisphere, um, as well as um, drier conditions kind of in northern Brazil. Does that does the conditions when they change here in, in South Asia, for example, the Indian Ocean, does that get more calmer at that, or does it, aside from the drier weather and such, does that change, or the, the, the wave structures stay the same, or does that affect it in any way? Um, that's a good question. I don't know of any any science on that issue, actually. I'd have to look it up. We have to consult the wavologist instead <laughs> of the, the climatologist. Um, you know, from your perspective, and, I, and you were recently in Paris, is that correct, at the um, climate talks? No, unfortunately, I had to watch from a distance, teaching oh. obligations. <laughs> uh, but perhaps uh, there was some um, information there. Uh, did they get involved in talking about things like El Nino, or was it just strictly on climate change issues? Um, I'm confident that it was that it was at least mentioned um, among the Paris talks, but the focus there was so heavily on climate change um, that it was probably only only for a few moments. Um, the thing is, El Nino is just a natural oscillation. It's something that has been in the Pacific Ocean as long as the Pacific Ocean has existed. So, um, Based on our current understanding of the science, that variability will continue to be there under climate change. The only difference is if your if your eastern Pacific is um, two to three degrees Celsius warmer than average, and in addition to that, you also have a climate change signal which adds another two to three degrees Celsius of warming, then you're probably going to get more severe El Nino events associated with future climate change. So. So we also hear that the opposite of El Nino is La Nino. La, La Nina. 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 Not good at Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> French and Cantonese I can do. I can't I, I don't do Spanish very well. So so that's the complete opposite of what happens, right? Everything's reversed. Yeah, so that's where you have uh, a strong walker circulation um, that pushes those wa those Pacific waters to the west, and so you get very cold temperatures through the eastern Pacific and central Pacific from um, upwelling or from carrying ocean waters from depth to the surface. Excellent. Wow. So, so if you're a betting man and going to Vegas, 
would you say that we'll see this El Nino start to hit us the strongest in January or March or? Um, we're yeah. we're going to see it January, February, March. Um, so Dece November and December are kind of strange periods for California. Basically, the large-scale meteorology of California is governed by this Pacific high. And throughout November and December, that Pacific high is migrating southwards. So what's happening is that instead of California being hit by these atmospheric rivers and high heavy precipitation, right now it's moving southwards. Right now it's up in the Pacific Northwest and kind of moving southwards. And as we're seeing, the Pacific Northwest is getting basically record rainfalls. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, and so when that Pacific high gets far enough south, then it's going to be California that's going to be uh, the target of these atmospheric river events. Is there any chance that, you know, what we refer to as the uh, uh, gosh, what, ridiculously resilient ridge, the high-pressure ridge, could that ever crop up and kind of uh, go against what El Nino, the, the rain, you know, the, the increased precipitation from El Nino? Um, it, does, it doesn't seem very likely, actually. The most recent studies of the ridiculously resilient ridge actually claim that the reason that it exists is because we were in a period of La Nina conditions. Oh. So it just doesn't support it, – it's not easy, It's not well supported under El Nino conditions, um, but it's instead more strongly associated with La Nina. Well, with that, uh, really appreciate the insight, and uh, there's, there's so much um, – well, we certainly Science separated the facts from the myths on this yeah. one. <laughs> but, uh, no, that is just – and I, I think UC Davis is, seems to be doing a lot of work, not only in your area of expertise, but also with water and uh, how to help replenish the aquifers uh, by flooding ag land that, go, that, that is dormant or is, is fallowed uh, during, the, um, during the rainy season. So um, you know, I've gotten a lot more impressed with – all the activities that are going on at UC Davis. So, so we got some fantastic researchers up here, that's for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we work with a couple of them, and uh, we're very, very satisfied and excited to keep on working with them. Hey, I, we do appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, and informing our listeners about what this is from a technical point of view, because, again, turning on the regular TV, they don't, they don't get any of this. They just get the, uh, the mask of it. So we do appreciate it. Yeah, My pleasure. Appreciate all that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's great. We're going to take a little break here, and we'll be back uh, with, with another guest, in-studio guest. And, uh, and don't forget to call in uh, KCAA 1050, and the phone number is 909-888-5222 or 888-909-1050. We'll be back in a moment. Are your monthly water bills draining your wallet? Then you need Valley Soil, your one-stop expert on water conservation to save you water time and most of all money. 
With over 35 years of experience, Valley Soil has implemented numerous conservation programs for water districts throughout California. They have performed over 12,000 water audits and installed over 300,000 smart irrigation products for municipalities, residential, and commercial property owners, saving over 293 million gallons of water each year. That's enough to fill 15,000 swimming pools. Their services also include indoor water audits, leak detection, retrofits, reclaim water systems, and manage water use and data tracking. As certified irrigation auditors and a state-licensed landscape contractor, you can trust them to be knowledgeable about the services you need, products they install, and best practices in water conservation. For an individualized water solution for you, contact them today at 888-268-1009. That's 888-268-1009 or valleysoil.com. Remember, when it comes to innovative ideas to save water, Valley Soil never lets you run dry. Are you looking for the right place to purchase your landscaping items? Well, come see us at Hydroscape. Hydroscape offers a large selection of irrigation products, including Irritrol and Toro, such as their efficient precision nozzles. For 40 years, Hydroscape has been family-owned and operated, serving Southern California. With 17 locations, our knowledgeable and experienced staff is equipped to help you with all your irrigation landscape, and outdoor living projects. Whether you're installing irrigation systems, wanting to maintain a healthy landscape, or simply create a beautiful lit space for outdoor entertaining, Hydroscape is the place to go. Visit our website at hydroscape.com for more information and find helpful articles on our blog. Or call our customer service center at 1-800-395-4477. Hey, welcome back to the Water Zone with Mike and Rob. Hope everybody's having a good day. Let me give you those numbers again, and I'll do them a little slower. 909-888-5222. Please call in and 888-909-1050. Just a reminder about the contest that we're having for next month. Absolutely. Um, turn mics on. Absolutely. Turn, turn mics, mics on. So you, turn, you did what I did the first time. Right. Um, so what we want you to do for the city in which you reside or Pick you a can city. Pick the city that you work in. We want you to guess what the total rainfall in inches, including t- a tenth of an inch, uh, the inches that it will have rained in the month of February. And if you can submit that uh, guess. No later than February 15th. Right. Otherwise, if we wait till the 29th, you know, it just won't be fair. Yes. And we're all about fairness. Just Mike and I may win that. Yeah. And uh, you <laughs> or just that guy in, Fred. Oh, that's right. He, he's called in twice. <laughs> yes, he has. But uh, you can go to uh, torowatersmart.com. And what? How do how do they get us that message? Just by going they, to Toro. They go on, and there's a place that you can leave a comment. Okay, just go to the comment area. Yep. And say. City of San Dimas. Your name, your contact information, because we have to call yeah. you back or get you back, and the city that you're picking and what your your rainfall uh, number is going to be, or and I think it's going to be. Just to just to let everybody know, back in February of 1998, uh, the last El Nino, we actually saw inches of rain in the. Uh, 10 to 13-inch range in Southern California. So not that I'm giving you any hints, but uh, do get your guess guesstimate in. Because what will they win, Rob? They win a $100 gift certificate, and depending on what city they live in, we'll give them something a little extra that they can do that evening. 
All right, very good. So that'll so that'll be good. Anyway, we have a uh, our in-house uh, studio guest, and uh, to tell you a little about him, we'll bring him on. His name is Richard Daigle, and uh, he's a man whose mission statement is raising the professionalism in the green industry. And a little about Richard's background. He's been in the landscape industry for 37 years. And as the owner, I call him the headmaster of a place called Irrigator Tech, which is an educational school to teach and certify basic irrigation concepts to all service providers and technicians in the field. It was designed to provide extended opportunities to the individual's landscaper's career goal. Richard served on the board of the California Landscape Contractors Association since 2005 as the education director, from 2008 to 2014 as the president of the Inland Empire chapter. He also founded the Green Industry Hall of Fame in 2005, the Association of Latino Landscape Professionals in 2010. Boy, he did a lot. This guy did a lot. And the Landscape Certified Contractors Association in 2013. He currently sits on the board of all the directors for these organizations. So welcome to the Water Zone, Richard. Oh, thank you very much. And wait a second, I got to say, because um, Richard and I share something um, that wait we're minute, both I, very proud of. Do I have to tell your wife this? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good thing. it's a good thing that this we This is an announcement today. <laughs> um, and that is we were both inducted in 2014 to the Green Industry Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, that's awesome. And, yes, and uh, it is. It's a great peer recognition uh, that I think both of us – uh, treasure and um, in fact, you, as Rob mentioned, started that whole concept. Why don't you just share with us a little bit about the vision that you had when you first came up with this idea? Yeah, when I first came up with it, um, I was actually at one of our uh, friends' houses, and I was at an event for firemen. And I thought, wow, do they really honor everybody as they retire or do things? And and I was just really kind of taken with that. And I said, we have to do that. So I investigated around, and no other associations were doing it. And I thought, wow, we need to make people feel special in our industry that have given so much. And as I've traveled throughout all over the United States doing classes, you know, it's not everybody knew who actually started, who founded, what was going on with Moody, Buckner, all these older companies that helped us all step into getting where we are today. And uh, where was Toro? Where was everybody and how they started and all the neat products they had? And and what I'm trying to do is encourage young people out of high school to be able to look at our industry and say, Mom, Dad, this is what I want to do. Look at, you know, Mike Barron and look how well he's done. Look at how, what he's accomplished. And I want to be like that and feel really good about being in our industry and being able to go to our website and it's the Green Industry Hall of Fame org, and read and look about you know and click on people and say wow look at what they've done and I could do that and I can be very proud of being part of this irrigation and landscape industry. Being part of that audience that night, we from our company Toro, we were extremely proud of Mike. He did a outstanding thing, and you guys were great. I mean, it was a great event, and, and it's nice and to learn and hear what all these other people have done. You know, like you said, nobody knows, or a lot, lot, a lot of people don't know outside the industry but it was very very interesting and very yeah the farther you get away from california the less people really know the founders and people that have really changed things you know mike travels all over the united states and uh people get little tidbits but they don't get to know his whole history of his life as well as you know other people that have been inducted 
And we felt as a board, there is a board, it's not just my decision. We have people on the council from the nursery industry, irrigation, uh, Hap Kellogg's on it from all the uh, smaller retail nurseries and all different types, the pond industry and everything. So, you know, a lot of people got together and really looked at Mike's career, and that's how we picked him to be in that year to be on that, um, be honored, and we're very proud of it. The only change I would have done is, or suggestion was on his plaque that you got. Because I call him Mikeypedia, and I would have liked to see that. Oh. <laughs> I would have liked to well, see. Well, you, know, you hadn't started calling me that till we did the show, so you well, know. I had it in the back of my mind. Yeah, so. yeah. So. <laughs> but no, that's great. And you know, Richard also has been recognized by his peers with yes. the same uh, Green Industry Hall of Fame for, I think, just this unquenchable effort uh, to help educate those individuals within our industry that are really where the rubber hits the road, and. That's where great uh, strides can be made to reduce water waste, to improve irrigation efficiency, uh, to be able to have attractive, healthy landscapes while you're saving water. And, you know, I think, uh, Richard, if you could share with us uh, how your organization, you know, really gets in touch with these folks uh, or maybe tell us a story about yeah, who's your uh, students. Who's your yeah. how do you, how do how do people know about you and what and tell all because I have looked at your brochure and I I know you for a while anyway. I mean I know all the things that you do, but if people really know you know to me there's a difference between hiring somebody if I can say this who's a I call it a mow and blow operation and don't get me wrong they're hardworking people you know but my son once wanted to be a uh, landscaper and he says oh you can get me all the stuff really cheap because you work for Toro and you get a discount and he gives me this list for $50,000 that he wants you know and he says uh, and I said I don't want to give you the 50000 he says well but you can be the president of the company I go no I have a job I went to college I don't want to I don't want to do this and I said just because and he, I said what makes you think you'll you'll be successful he said well, I speak English I said that doesn't mean anything anymore I mean you, you, if you bring something to the table, meaning you bring intelligence to your job, where you have some uh, knowledge in water management or things, you know, like like that, and and have certifications, I said, then you're bringing something to the customer that's of value. You're worth paying a little bit more money. You, you you do a good job. Anybody can come by. You can pay a kid down the street five bucks to mow your lawn and do that. That's not what we want anymore. Maybe in the fifties, but I think it's more like twenty bucks now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I have a. I, I pay my guy a little more than five bucks. Yeah, six fifty. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, <laughs> but no. Seriously, uh, Richard, uh, kind of the yeah. uh, who Tell do us. you who do you supply your educational services to? Uh, to contractors in the field, their employees. We're a very employee-driven organization. So um, I know a gentleman. His name is Alex. That worked for a landscaper in Anaheim. And he paid out of his own pocket. A lot of these guys pay out of their own pocket and come on Saturdays. And he says, and he sat down and I said, you need to write where you're over this next, you know, five weeks that you'll be coming. Write down where you see yourself one year, three years, five years from now. Where do you want to be? And everybody has a different situation. And I said, and I'll help you get the knowledge that it takes to achieve those goals. And so where he was at working for a landscaper, he was just a driver. So he took the classes, paid out of his own pocket, did one series, and then he got to the next series. Now, what we do is look at other agencies, other landscapers, what's good for him. 
and uh, Alex, we always, you know, kind of kid about him because he has nine kids, and he's not even 30. Wow. So, uh, and his wife is just awesome. She's a nice young little lady, and um, and so she can't work. But And he's only making $12 an hour, living in an apartment on the third story, and all of his kids, one bedroom, $1,600 a month. So he, you know, laid this all out, and I said, well, you know, I think for you with the, the situation, we need to look at some other issues. So one of our other instructors works for the city of Glendora, and his name is Hugo, and he had taken our classes, and we uh, helped him achieve his goals of working for the city of Glendora. So when we, we went to the city of Glendora and they're looking for somebody, we said, what does it take? And we will help people to get this position to make sure they qualify. Alex now works for the city of Glendora. He's been there for about six months. Oh. He's uh, now moved and changed. He's closer to the city of Glendora. The city of Glora, uh, Glendora is very happy with him. You can go to our Green Industry News um, videos on YouTube and see we've done a lot of volunteer work for the city of Glendora and uh, training their people on a volunteer basis. And that helped him get the job. Now he has insurance, and all of his kids are happy, and they're expecting a 10th kid since he went to work there. Yeah, you know, you've got a you feel. You had time for that? What's that? He had yeah. time for that? <laughs> yeah, I know. You would think, there you know. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Um, Maybe it rains someday, you know. But, you know, I, I've got to think you got to have – uh, feel good, feel good in your heart that you're able to help someone like that who is willing to invest his own time and money to improve himself. I mean, that really is the classic American oh, success story. You know, it's to work hard, study, and improve yourself. I think that's just wonderful. Yeah, and then we, you know, we showed the scores, went there after he got the job. And over the months, we've gone back to the city of Glendora and said, hey, how's Hugo doing? He's been there a while now for about three years. He uh, teaches with us on Saturdays. And then uh, Alex, he just came back, so he's uh, now getting his backflow certification. So every opportunity that comes uh, available to him, he comes back, asks us, can I help? I need to learn how to be an arborist, and I need to be able to do these things. They want me to do all the trees. And uh, so those are the type of things, and I could say there are hundreds of them. Everybody what that are, comes what, is looking for a goal to grow. What are some of the classes? I mean, you're talking a couple here. What what do you offer through that? Yeah, so kind of the function, you know, the kind yeah. of the, the learning, like you mentioned, arbor, ar, being an arborist, uh, backflow certification. Yep. So kind of like those so they of um, they normally take our certified irrigation repair technician. And that's what contractors are looking for. They want to hire somebody so uh, they can wire track. Wire tracking, finding where the gophers shoot up the wires, any damage in the field. They say that is very hard. It's not just switching ahead. And uh, so they take that class. They go through water management classes with us, why they pick the right nozzles, what they do. And it's all outside. So when they come, we're on the grass. We have everything. They have to make all those adjustments. So typically, do you combine kind of a classroom setting inside, maybe learning some things with then going outside? Or do you just basically do the class outside and hands-on? Uh, it starts off in the morning. The first hour of every class on a four-hour class is an hour of lecture. 
and they're making notes. They all get a book that we make just for them, and we track their CEU credits. It's uh, They have a number that we track on it. They, we give them highlighters. We recommend where they highlight because for every four hours there's going to be a 25 to 35 question test. Then we go, and if it's outside or we have hands-on, they have to take things apart, put them back together, make decisions. So we view that, and I, we have a check sheet. So we're seeing, okay, can they take what they've learned and get practical with it and act on it in the field? And then our instructors, myself and uh, several others, when they're picking a nozzle, for instance, you know, why did you pick that? How many gallons? What are you doing? When you're making decisions, you know, do you know that just because you're fixing a broken head, have you put the best option that uses the amount of water for the soil and the plant that you're actually watering. So there's no reason for irrigation if, unless we have plants, and those plants have requirements. And most irrigation people just look at, oh, fix it. It's not shooting up in the air. Move to the next one, move to the next one. So we do that, and then after they do their hands-on of putting things together, then they take their, their test. So it, it works out really good because sometimes they're a little stronger at uh, doing the hands-on than maybe the lecture. We do these in Spanish as well. So we do have uh, uh, Hugo's Spanish. He does all of that. Danny, um, he does all that. We've got um, three Spanish instructors that are excellent that have worked and work at cities and irrigation supply houses. And uh, they do their time on Saturdays. And Saturdays is our most popular time for classes. Do you get people outside the irrigation industry who want to get into it, aside from people who already work for contractors? And, as you said, Alex paid out of his own pocket. Is there other ways to pay for that? Is there any Absolutely, absolutely. They can go to the unemployment office, and uh, we're listed there. So if they want to be a forklift driver or they want to do something in the industry or any kind of industry, then what they'll do is pay to get them to help get a job. So they'll come to us. We're the only school on that list. And they say, hey, you know, I just got out of the military. I don't want to go work in the office. I love being outside. You know, it's peaceful. And I want to learn how to build ponds or do irrigation or trim trees. Then they sign up. And what the unemployment office does is place them. And when they graduate, they pay for their class and all the stuff it takes required. So at the end, we get them perfectly ready for that. So people like Stay Green and other landscapers can come and say, we're looking for somebody, and this is our qualifications. If you can get them to do all these things, we'll pay them a little bit more. And so we help them. We help all of our um, members like the Valley Crest and all the other big contractors out there. They're always looking for qualified people that can follow directions, do everything. And that's, you know, we've really helped a lot of military people or people that have just got out of, you know, fell through the cracks, getting into other jobs, said, I've always loved to do this. Mm-hmm. So um, we've had, we got probably six or seven people now that work for Disneyland, Magic Mountain, different locations, and it works out, I mean, it's awesome to know that. How long have you been doing, how long has the school been going? Uh, this is our 12th year. Wow. Well, now, you mentioned, like, uh, contractors, landscape contractors can use individuals with a certain skill set. They're willing to hire them and maybe pay them a little bit more than just being a a day laborer. Uh, But you also mentioned people being placed or getting jobs at Disneyland or Magic Mountain. Do they go out and search once they have 
the certificate from your school, or do you also look for ways to link up with these potential employers and you become almost like an employment agency for them? Meaning you have a placement service part of the... Oh, yeah. If you go to our e-news and sign up. So if you go to Irrigator Tech's website and then you can click on, I want to get that newsletter. It comes out every week and we have a listing of jobs that are available. Uh, That's pretty pretty large distribution from my understanding. How many... Uh, what we broke it up. So just for California, I think we're about uh, 5,700 people that get that. And then we have an irrigator tech in Arizona. I think there are about 1,100. And then Las Vegas all the way to Minnesota to all over the place. And so we divide it up so um, each region gets what they're wanting. Like Arizona has their own newsletter because they have a different plant palette. They have different things that are more important with they the drip. Do, uh, drip. And, <laughs> yeah, drip is like everything to them and issues that are in california sometimes aren't the same issues that those contractors in the field need for arizona have you found that your average new student uh, who has had some experience in this industry but wants to gain more are you more surprised at what they do know or what they don't know coming into your classes which are more formal and obviously you've got the benefit of the experience, the trained people that, you know, have a better handle on what all these skills need to be? Uh, I'm surprisingly, you know, that's why I started doing this with my wife, Marcy, is because there wasn't really something like this. We had, we do a backflow class, that's the state, you know, backflow, and then they can do that. It's very important for us to keep our water safe. And we've had many, not just one, several that came to the class, cut out like 10 to 15 backflows and said, I brought them to class so you can certify them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I said, what would you do? Oh, we just came up, put a 90 on, put another 90, and put it back in PVC. And I said, no, I, you have to <laughs> you certify have to, it in the field. You need to go back out and put them all back. So, so for those of you that really aren't in the irrigation business, uh, this is like taking out the protective uh, device that keeps dirty water from your sprinkler system from back siphoning into the clean water supply, the drinking water supply. So the last thing you want to do is cut this device out and just have a direct link between your sprinkler water and your, you know, your drinking water. So uh, I think those people that, work in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is terrible. Flint. That would be Flint. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, we hired uh, – this is back many, many years ago in the 80s. We hired somebody at uh, Rainbird as a sales rep who was totally outside the industry. And uh, he went out and, and uh, was called out on a job, and and he s- ended up sending an RC7A controller, which is an old-style yeah. controller, uh, back to the factory saying – this doesn't work. You know, my customer is very dissatisfied. Look at all the mud that got in here. And it turned out that the customer had wired directly from the valve solenoids onto the terminal strip of the On control the and, put the and put it in the ground. Yes. In the box. It doesn't so, surprise me. So well, my, that my, happens. Mike will tell you, There's. I won't mention who the builder is, the home builder, but I was there the other day. Oh, yes, yes. And, and I seem to have a stream of these going around where they, the installers put the valves in backwards. And, oh, yeah. And they don't realize it, and they basically say, hey, you know what? We have this tremendous pressure loss. We can't get any any drip emitters to work. Yeah. Well, one of the things we're going to do here is uh, on a on a regular basis, I'm going to 
give I call you Mikeypedia, so I can't use that for him. I have to come up with something else. So I'm going to call him the DIY sprinkler guy, and we want on three shows a month for you to come on. We'll give you a segment, and you talk about how, all these homeowners. What happens when something breaks? How do they go about to fix it? What is it? And we want you to do that segment on that. So uh, that's going to happen starting next week. And we're very happy about yeah, that. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. We appreciate can, that. How can wanna, they get, go ahead? We want you to you can go to our website and then click on Facebook and then enter what you want me to talk about. So if there's issues, you go, hey, I need to know how to do this and that. You can look at our videos, but if we don't have the answer, say, hey, you know, call into the station and ask us a question about uh, problems that you're having. They can be minor adjustments to whatever ad- adjustments. And all three of us, um, with all everybody's technical services here, not just me, we can answer these questions. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to play stump the experts. Yeah, yeah stump the you experts. can stump us $100. So we're going to have a lot of fun at this. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, that's going to be the end of our show here coming up. We do appreciate it. Uh, if you have questions, do www.torowatersmart.com. Don't forget about the contest, winning a nice $100 gift certificate for dinner and something else we'll add to that so you can go out on the town. And uh, that's all I have for this week. Everybody, keep saving water. We're still in a drought. And remember, you can have a nice-looking lawn and save water at the same time. Absolutely. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good week.